Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. On this week's show, we continue a theme that started last week as we look into the future of college football. This week, Stuart Mandel of The Athletic is back on the show to talk about the future of the Power Five conferences, why the SEC and the Big Ten have actually created a Power Two among the Power Five. Is it possible for any of the ACC, Big 12, or Pac-12 to close the growing revenue gap? Is the ACC anchored by a long-term TV deal? Does Notre Dame hold the key to the conference unlocking new revenue? Should the Big 12 reconsider, again, expanding? How about a merger with the Pac-12? The Power Five might collectively benefit from acting more unified, why that probably won't happen in the near future. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on appodcast.com and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, give us a good review and rating. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. If you'd like to email the show, send questions and comments to aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. That's aptop25, the number is 25, mailbag at gmail.com. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast, uh, for the second time in, I don't know, about a month and a half now, uh, Stuart Mandel from The Athletic, my good friend. Stu, you know, I felt like I was so rough on you and Bruce and I were so rough on you last time when we did when we talked about the coaching list and the top 25 coaches uh, that I felt like I had to bring you back uh, by yourself so you didn't have Bruce picking on you too. Yeah, you know, that was uh, two, definitely a, a, a two-on-one situation. I just... <laughs> I still think I, of the three, I was I, my coach rankings were right and your guys were wrong. But, you know, we can put that behind us. Well, I, also, I had to bring you on because I, a listener a few weeks back, I, and I've been this this listener, John Coster, uh, had a great idea for not just one show, but what I thought of was like a series of shows. And that is on the future of college football. So last week I talked to Dennis Dodd about like whether the whether major college football even needs the NCAA because the NCAA and what the future of the NCAA is. And John also asked, like, what are the future of the Power Five conferences? You know, so are, are certain conferences just destined to be um, dominant for the years to come? Are there any weak, you know, are there any like hidden blind spots or weaknesses in these conferences that they have to worry about? Will they, will the Power Five especially sort of start acting together more? Or, you know, we last week I talked with Dennis about the Power Five breaking away and that's complicated too. So I figured you, you kind of follow this stuff through the, your eyes on the playoff as, as probably as closely as anybody. So I thought you would be the perfect person to talk about sort of the future of the Power Five conferences. Let's start with, I think, this the conference that is sort of best situated. In other words, is there any reason not to think that the SEC is just going to be a money printing machine from now <laughs> for the until the you know the, the foreseeable future? Well, I know that you brought me on to talk about the Power Five, and we use that phrase all of the time. But if we're talking about making money and TV and all that, I mean, it's really the Power Two, the the Big Ten and the SEC 
have already separated themselves from the other three. And I think that that gap will only widen in the next few years because, you know, you mentioned the SEC. The SEC recently, um, you know, announced a new deal with ESPN to take over the game of the week that's been on CBS forever, uh, that, that CBS basically got away with, you know, underpaying for 15 years because I guess they, they were good negotiators back then. I mean, that is going to go from $55 million a year to over $300 million a year in 2024 um, on top of, you know, an already lot, you know, ton of money that they make from ESPN for their other games and for the SEC network. And the Big Ten, and this was Jim Delaney's uh, thought process, and I think it turned out to be smart, was when they did their deal with, with ESPN and Fox in 2017, they only did it for six years. Usually you see these TV contracts are 12 years, 15 years, whatnot. They did it for six years, so they get to go do this all over again in a couple years and make even more money. Uh, so um, last summer I did an article looking at the future of the uh, TV deals for these conferences, and you just see the Big Ten and the SEC just go into a whole other stratosphere from the other three. The SEC has the benefit right now of also of being the strongest football conference, and it's really, it's just not that tough to figure out why that's where all the players are. Um, the 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 culture of football, the weather, the populations upticking, all those things are sort of combining to create a great base, a, a great foundation for football power. Really, sports and athletics power, because really, because the SEC does well in some of the in, in most sports, but because football drives the money bus, and no place is football more important, and they're they concentrate on football, they have all the football players there, and they're really good at football. That all just becomes like you know feeds itself into the money making machine. Uh, the one place I wonder about with the Big Ten is. Does the fact that it's becoming harder for the Big Ten powers to be powers, and we look at Nebraska, obviously, is the shining example of this, Michigan, like just the nature of there are less players up there, it's becoming harder for those schools to recruit elite players without going outside their footprint. Um, how much at all do you think that matters going forward, balanced against they also have these enormous fan bases, and that helps, the again, fuel the money machine, too. I mean, I feel like the Big Ten already went through that period. You know, you think back to when Ohio State lost to Florida in embarrassing fashion in the BCS title game. I mean, that kicked off about a five, six-year window where kind of like the Pac-12 is the punching bag now. I, mean, I feel like the, the Big Ten was the punching bag then. Uh you know, Ohio State under Trestle was very good, but then they would get and play a Florida or an LSU and and get exposed. And then, you know, that was a period where, frankly, most of the other programs weren't weren't doing as well. Um, really, Urban Meyer, when he got to Ohio State and, and won the national title as quickly as he did, uh, I feel like flipped the narrative around the Big Ten, even though, you know, here we are in, in 2021. It's still Ohio State dominating the conference, just like they were under Trestle. But that that idea that they were, you know, slow basically was what was what you know people threw around back then, has pretty much gone away. Even though I would say you know Wisconsin, Iowa haven't, you know they're not they're not 
closing any gaps on the Alabamas or the Clemsons. It's really Ohio State carrying that flag right now. But to your point, I think what the Big Ten has going for it more so than any other conference is that Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, I would say even Wisconsin, Nebraska, these are statewide schools with huge national alumni bases. When I lived in New York, there was a sports bar Blondies on the Upper West Side, and mm-hmm. every Big Ten school, you know, alumni view, viewing party was there. You know, you would have Michigan fans lined up onto the street waiting to get in there when their game was played. So that, when you talk about TV uh, audience and TV value, I don't think that's going away anytime soon. Um, they don't necessarily have. Um, I, I don't know what the latest numbers. Are. I think the ACC technically has the like the the biggest turf or the mo- you know if you add up their states yes. in terms of population. But I don't you know I don't you know just because they have Syracuse doesn't mean like they own the state of New York in, in television. I mean, and frankly, Notre Dame is much more popular in New York as you know uh, than Syracuse football. Um, so you know I think. Whereas the SEC, maybe we associate their money printing machine more with actually winning national titles and whatnot. Um, you know, the Big Ten just has those that those big brands with those. Big, I mean, Michigan football hasn't been particularly relevant in 15 years, and they still do great TV ratings because Bays and Blue, the helmets, uh, you know, all that. They have a na- huge national following. So are you finally willing to admit that uh, Jim Delaney bringing in Rutgers and Maryland was a good idea? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know that that's contributed all that much to their success. Um, you know, I think it was a good idea in that the ACC. I mean, if you ask him, and I did at the time, why this was so important to do, they felt like the ACC was encroaching on their turf mm-hmm. um, when Notre Dame became a partial member. And look, last season they got to enjoy a season of Notre Dame being a full member, and so they felt like they had to uh, plant a flag in that territory as well. Um, when they go to the negotiating table at ESPN and Fox, I don't know that that deal is making a dollar more than it would if Rutgers and Maryland weren't in it. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I do understand the um, the rationale behind that at the time. And it's not like it's had some, you know, there, there's, there's been no negative effect on that conference by the two of them being in it. Um, and look, with Greg Shano back at Rutgers, I actually think they're going to be going back to being very competitive again. Well, so, okay, so and I'm not going to get into a long argument here because I don't think you're because I I know you always you and I I see this differently, but I will say this: I, I thought that that move uh, when you have dwindling population base within the Midwest and this burgeoning you know East Coast corridor population, not only is it was it important for recruiting athletes. To have a, a footprint and a, and a hold and from New Jersey down to the D.C. area where there are you know, a lot of good ball, ball players in the D.C. area in Virginia. Uh, you can go into there. Again, New Jersey is a place where you find good football players. So I thought it was important for that. But I actually also thought it was like super important to tap into that East Coast market as far as just students i mean there's already a lot of as you said there's already a lot of big 10 alumni here extending your brands getting more of a foothold in this in this area not just for athletes but for students i always thought was a was made a ton of sense even if all Rutgers and maryland are are a kiosk you know to put the other to 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 promote the other schools in your conference right we have a lot of ohio state and michigan fans within 
the New Jersey, New York, New Jersey area. So let's bring Ohio State and Michigan there once a year uh, and have them, you know, do things and have them play games and, and sort of show off their brand. So I thought even as a staging area, it, it always made sense to, for the Big Ten to, to claim hold on the East Coast Corridor. The thing you said about recruiting, um, you know, you look at, uh, I mean, two of Ohio State's biggest stars recently, Dwayne Haskins and Chase Young, are from Maryland. Now, does that mean, you know, was that specifically because they joined, Maryland joined the conference and they suddenly the Big Ten was on more there? Who who knows? Uh, Michigan's gotten a lot of great players from New Jersey. But there is definitely something to be said for, you know, the population has shifted away from the Rust Belt. And so, you know, to your point, adding... um, Adding a, a bigger footprint that where recruiting is still very strong, you know, made sense. I think the thing at the time that that really rubbed Big Ten fans the wrong way was, you know, you're you're if you're, um, you know, if you're a Michigan season ticket holder, suddenly, you know, you, you you're losing a game against somebody, you, you know, like they used to play Minnesota every year, and that was a meaningful rivalry, and you're losing that because Rutgers or Maryland is coming to your stadium every year, right? Um, right. You know, I I think isn't I was permanent crossover one of those school like yeah, i feel like iowa plays at Rutgers <laughs> all the time and it just makes no sense but um college football fans are very the loyalty is hard to I mean, it, the loyalty is so strong that there's almost nothing you can do it seems like that that dents that it's not like there's been some you know break you know fading uh, i mean there's been attendance declines but that's true across college football uh, a lot of those things in realignment that we thought, you know, we who cover it thought were, ooh, that's a real slap in the face to the fans. I don't know how they're going to take it. Doesn't seem like it's had any sort of effect that way. So, you know, it probably did in the long run uh, make the conference. Uh, it probably added more to the conference than it's taken away, I guess. The funny thing is that the main reason to do it at the time, or one of the main reasons, was for cable money. And now, you know, who could have predicted that that would be so unimportant uh, six or seven years later as more and more people ditch their cable package. Yeah, all those all those cable TV sets in the Northeast Corridor are not nearly as valuable as they used to be. So you have the SEC and the Big Ten are making, are making huge money now. Um, and you, did, you sort of ran the numbers and projected out. That means the other three are all chasing. The Big 12, the ACC, and the Pac-12 are in chase mode. Um, and th- if that's the case, as you look at it, uh, because we all know the Pac-12 is, is sort of the butt of everybody's jokes right now. Um, and but the Big 12 just went through another draft where it didn't have very many players picked. Um, and and that's problematic. It's it, it's become a, a conference that is you know sort of viewed as Oklahoma and everybody else. The ACC has gets to wave around Clemson's championship banners. But other than a one, uh, there was a one year there where the a bunch of ACC schools were good. But really, it's it's been a lot of Clemson and 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 the rest as far as football is concerned. Plus, it has that massive footprint, which can some ways be valuable, but also in some ways be a little unwieldy. I, I think I you know I talked with Jim Phillips about this, the new commissioner there, about there's still a bit of a divide between blue bloods and old bloods in that conference. So as you look at the other three, they all have sort of some issues here. Which one is best position going forward? Um that's a great question. Um I think that 
it's the interesting one is the ACC. So the Big 12 and the Pac-12 have TV deals coming up in 2024 and 2025. Like they will make significantly more money than they do now just because they haven't had a chance to go to the table in a long time. Right. Everybody that gets a raise in these in these situations. Yeah. yeah. Now that won't put them on equal footing with the Big 10 and the SEC, uh, but closes the gap a little bit more. And certainly like just you know any sort of um, windfall like that, especially after the pandemic when a lot of these schools are, are going to be, you know, spending years chasing that money that they lost, you know, comes at a valuable time. The interesting thing about the ACC is that when they when when they and ESPN did the ACC network, they extended that their just their overall TV deal for 20 years. Yeah. And in, in researching that article last year and talking to people, everybody was like, wait a minute. Does that mean they're not going to go? You know, are they really not going to go to the negotiating table for another 20? Like there must be some catch. And, you know, these TV contracts are secret. You can't see the clause. But surely the, John Swafford put something in there where if they fall cer- a certain, you know, percentage behind, they get to reevaluate. Because if not, they will get left completely in the dust uh, by, by not just the, the big two, but the, but the other two as well. Um, now, when they faced this issue before, they would just expand. And, and, you know, if you want to blow up a TV contract at another school and then they have to go back to the table and. Um, you know, you get something closer to what your current market value is, but it does seem like the ACC is a little more, um, you know, the issue for the big 12 is they really only have two kind of flagship brands that, that people care about nationally, um, who hold a lot of power over the other eight. Uh, the issue for the PAC 12 is many, uh, obviously they've been, you know, not had the national preeminence in football recently. The network that they started has been a disaster, um, and, and they don't have the, the kind of the passionate fan base that some of the others do. But if you're talking just money, you know, it seems to me that the ACC um, has has some trouble. They have Clemson. Like if, if Dabo were to leave for the NFL next year and Clemson fell apart, ACC football could be a real mess uh, because there isn't a lot going on beyond them right now. Right. And, and the two other big brand that are full football that are full members are actually football members as opposed to Notre Dame, which is there and everything else, but they only got their football, uh, you know, to, to wave the football banner last year. Uh, Florida State is going through a problem now. I do think Florida State ultimately will recruit its way out of this. Um, right. I think there, there's just too many good players in that part of the country. It's it's a mess right now. But at some point, Florida State will invest and figure it out. And they're, you know, whether it's Norvell, and I think Norvell has a chance to be a good coach there. Um, but whether it's not, whether it's Norvell or the next guy, someone will recruit their way out of it and Florida State will be very good again. And, but Miami's been a conundrum for really since the day they stepped into the conference. I mean, the, the idea that this, that this school that has five national championships and is situated in South Florida with all this talent, can't get it right and can't be a national powerhouse again is is a big is a problem for the ACC as well and you know Miami is a unique place with small school private school in some ways it's maybe even more remarkable that they had the run that it had than than, than the fact that they're struggling to re, uh, to recapture that glory but yeah, I just it's it's a weird spot the ACC is in, and when you ask them about the revenue and about the TV contract, you know there, I, there's only so much they can say publicly. Um, it's sort of like, well, 
you know, we'll we'll see what happens, and you know, maybe there there might be some ways. We've got a great partnership with ESPN, and and we'll see what happens about sort of creating some value. But right, I I don't think you can expand your way out of this anymore, which I think is the reason why there's so much talk about Notre Dame and the idea that well, maybe if you add Notre Dame full time, that's the way you trigger some renegotiations. My sense when they started. I mean, when they started the ACC network, I was asking people behind the scenes ESPN, like, why are you doing this? Why are you launching a, it, you know, it, it almost like, why are you launching a, a, a linear cable network? Because by then cord cutting was yeah well underway. You know, why are you doing this now for a conference that doesn't have the, you know, football um, gravitas that the SEC and the Big Ten did? And the sense I got, well, it was twofold. One, a lot those conference networks basketball is actually you know as important to them as football because it's just so many more games Mm -hmm. and obviously acc basketball is a very desirable thing they don't make the kind of money football does but you know having all the the chance to put duke basketball games on the acc network was was very appealing but i do think so much of it was about you know wanting to to have that in line when the if and when the day comes that Notre Dame wants to sign on for football um I mean, you saw it. We got to see a little experiment of it last year. They made ACC football so much more relevant uh, by not only being in it, but having a, a playoff team. So now, is that going to, you know, Pete Samson, Notre Dame writer, will tell you they are, they are in no hurry to, to give up independence for, for so many reasons. And the ACC clearly, obviously, already benefits from having those four or five games a year with them. Um, yeah, so all of it is a long way of saying, like, even though the ACC seems to be in the worst position financially, I, I sense I don't sense any angst there like you do in the in the in, you know there's always going to be angst in the Big Twelve nervousness over they they are the most like if there was some sort of big blow up some sort of big movement like there was ten years ago like they are in the most precarious position because they have the fewest schools overall and they have the fewest schools that kind of matter nationally no offense Oklahoma State TCU everybody else but like they're not drawing the eyeballs that Oklahoma and Texas are. And the Pac-12 has a lot of angst for a lot of, a lot of reasons. Uh, but I don't think, I think, I really do feel like if the Pac-12 had a really good commissioner in place, they would solve a lot of their problems. Uh, because they do have, you know, Oregon has played in two national title games fairly recently. We know that you, what USC is capable of when they have the right leadership in place. Um, and and they, they're so strong in athletics overall that, you know, the Pac-12 does have a lot going for it. It's just that right now so much focus is on the playoff drought and the fact that nobody can get the Pac-12 network, uh, you know, and the top recruits, the Bryce Young, um, DJ Uyunglele, like those kids should be playing for L.A. schools and they're going across the country. Like those are the more pressing issues for them right now. So when you look at the when – when you look at the Big 12 – if there's one, because people love to talk, we love to talk expansion, right? I mean, expansion is just great off-season fodder, and realignment and expansion uh, drives a lot of conversation in college football. Though it does seem like we have we have sort of moved past the expansion era. If there's one league that it would probably make some sense for to to possibly get bigger. Uh, and to expand that footprint, it is the Big 12. 
Um, when we talk, I, I don't think you can have this conversation without even bringing up the possibility of expansion and realignment. So is there a place that you see for expansion and realignment to become a thing again? Or is that just something that we're going to harken back on the early 2010s and remember how crazy it was? But it, but it has the have, have the days of expansion being profitable passed? I mean, the Big 12 has a lot of reasons to expand, in my opinion. And and. You remember in 2016 they came awfully close to doing just that. They 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 that infamous teleconference where they basically said like anybody that's interested, you know, we're open for business. <laughs> and Cincinnati and BYU and all the you know group of five schools you would think of, like they made them go down to Dallas and audition for them, right. only to come back in the end and say we're going to stay at ten. And that was a situation where I think if Bob Bowlesby was the decision maker, they would have added more schools. Um, the presidents of the, of the Big 12 are the ultimate decision makers, and I just don't think they were feeling particularly motivated or particularly interested. By the time this next TV deal comes up, though, in a couple of years, you, you have a lot of changeover in that roster. Obviously, the, the landscape of, of college sports will have changed considerably. It makes total sense to me to go and get a Cincinnati, maybe a UCF, somebody like that, and, uh, and, and let those programs who are already pretty good programs benefit from, from power conference affiliation and, um, hopefully add more, you know, give you more teams that are viable national contenders and that are, um, attractive to TV. They've all, the resistance there has always been, well, we, you know, we really enjoy splitting the pie 10 ways, only 10 ways. You know, that's two more mouths to feed. And are they really going to bring that much more value? But we know that they're going to make a lot more money in their next deal, regardless of whether they add schools or not. Right. So they don't have to worry about losing money per school in this. So why not strengthen your conference uh, and, and and make it, you know, end this day of being like so much smaller than the other leagues? I just don't think it's a, a healthy place to be in uh, when everybody has reason to think like, well, it all it would take is, you know, another um, shake up and you guys are on the, the most shaky ground. Um, or the, the idea that at any moment, Texas or Oklahoma might, might go somewhere else and your conference is basically conference USA at that point. So, um, that's not fair. AAC. Okay. <laughs> anyway, now if you want to think bigger, I mean, I personally think the Big 12 and the Pac-12, the best thing those two conferences could do is merge. Thank you. I've been um, saying this for years. Yeah, you and I, are we're in yeah. the same mindset on this. I think that, that the, the Pac-12 is too reliant on California and the Big 12 is too reliant on Texas. And really, Larry Scott had the right idea all along. He did. And I know, you know, and, and it didn't end up happening for a lot of reasons. But one of it is it was just it's just politically disastrous if some of those Texas Big 12 schools try to leave the, some of the others behind. Um, so I think they should just merge. And I know that that, that, that sounds crazy that, you know, you have 22 uh, schools in a conference, but geography just doesn't, um, it just doesn't matter as much as it used to uh, in, in this age. Um, and, and really you would just be doing it for the, for the TV leveraging. Um, you know, each of those individually does not, have nearly the leverage that the Big Ten and the SEC did. But if you combine forces and you said ESPN, Fox, whoever else, you know, your only chance to get Oklahoma, Texas, and USC and Oregon isn't, you know, is you have one shot to get all of them. Now you've got a lot more juice and um, you don't even necessarily have to, I mean, they could still kind of mostly 
play, you know, stay separate in the other sports. Uh, so you're not, you know, taking the you know, certainly West Virginia doesn't want to be sending their volleyball team to Arizona and Seattle and whatnot. Uh, it's really about football. And as you know, travel and football is not that big a deal. If you you're going to play two games a year, you know, on the other side of the country, that's really not that big a deal. Well, it, it's also the idea of is can you expand without realigning? Can you you know can you be creative about this? Essentially, the idea of is it is it a true merger of the two leagues, or do you have some kind of what the Pac-12 and Big Twelve and Big Ten uh, tried to do years ago and had this idea of of a scheduling alliance, right? And that all sort of crumbled at a certain point when Delaney was still there. Um, but I think that there are ways to get creative with this with football where it's not a straight-up merger where you're sending, as you said, your lacrosse team or your, your, your cross-country team or your volleyball team across the country, but you're just doing something strategically with football that brings the two conferences together, uh, strengthens the schedules, which, it, with, which strengthens the value of the TV deals. And again, I keep going back to the idea of expanding recruiting footprints because I think that's a big thing for how well you're going to how 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 good the football is going to be i think that you can you you you're you're not you're only going to do so much as far as trying to dent that sec supremacy if your 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 recruiting base is in one state um and so i think that's a big part of it too so i don't know maybe there's something creative the pac12 and 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 big Ten, big 12 can do where they get themselves together uh to form an alliance as opposed to yeah. a merger I mean, you could break football out of it. You could, I mean, really, these TV, I heard the podcast you did with Dennis last week where he said one of the Power Fives said that like 80 or 90% of their TV revenue is from football. Um, you know, knowing that, like you could break football out into its own product and sell that, that um, you know, make that its own, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, like the, the West of the Rockies Conference or something just for football and then keep your traditional conferences and the other sports. Uh to your point, like I, there's just so many benefits for both sides. Recruiting is one of them. You know, the Pac-12 is constantly dealing with this time zone issue, and their teams, you know, they've had great teams or great players. You know, Christian to this day, Stanford fans will tell you Christian McCaffrey didn't win the Heisman because all his games are at 10:30 at night Eastern. Well, if if twice a year, you know, Christian McCaffrey's team went and played uh, Texas or Texas Tech or whoever, and those games were on at a normal time, um, you know, that that helps alleviate that some. So. It's just it, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense, but it involves it, two sets, not just one, but two sets of university presidents signing on to something that's considered very radical. Uh, and you know how university presidents are about academics and a lot of those Pac-12 schools they are very elitist. They don't you know, they might thumb their nose at the idea of being affiliated with I'm not going you know, to yeah, school. But, yes. You know, <laughs> yeah, schools I know. I got the Big 12 right. that they don't think are necessarily on the equivalent of UCLA and Cal. Uh, so you just have to get over it. And, and that, that takes leadership from, from the commissioners and saying, and making the case why you should do this. And Larry Scott, when he first got there, convinced those PAC, then PAC 10 presidents, why would, why they needed to add Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, et cetera. Um, didn't, didn't work, didn't happen. There's varying accounts to this day of who did what and who was responsible for, for it falling apart. Um, but it was kind of an idea ahead of its time. And I do think there's, there's 
many reasons to do something like that now. Okay, I want to take a quick break, and then we start talking about collaboration between these conferences. I want to pick up on that thought with Stuart Mandel from The Athletic. You're listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast with your host, Ralph Russo, the Associated Press College Football Writer. If you have any questions for our host or any of our guests, email the show at aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. And to get the rest of your football fix, also take a listen to the AP Pro Football Podcast with host Rob Motti, writer and sports radio personality as he tackles all the important news on and off the field of the National Football League and provide you with insider exclusives and in-depth analysis along with insightful interviews with Hall of Famers, current players, coaches, and executives. Rob will take you around the league, break down the biggest games, and keep you in the know only the way AP can. Like, subscribe, and comment wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I am with my friend Stuart Mandel from The Athletic, and we are talking about the future of mostly Power 5 conferences, though we are going to get a little into some Group of 5 stuff. But we we were talking about collaboration, right, and how how radical it would maybe even seem to be, even though, you know, it's something that Larry Scott tried to do when he tried to essentially merge the Pac-10 at the time and the Big 12, and it led to just a, a, you know, a free-for-all mayhem for a couple of years in college sports. But you talk about the idea of these leagues working together, and which brings about the talk of, you know, well, the Power Five might break away from the NCAA and go do its own thing. But I think it's also important to remember they are competitors, right? Which leads me to the idea that, you know, I've thought for a long time that what the next evolution of this power five football is somehow they don't necessarily merge, but they sort of join together and put some of their TV rights together, make that even more valuable and go to the market with that. Maybe they create the college football network or something along those lines. The the problem that stands in the way of, some type of collaboration, which might be a best for the game, b certainly maybe even best for their pockets, for for their bank accounts, is that they're competitors. Like they don't necessarily want to work together because lifting if if lifting if lifting me up also lifts up my competitor and makes us more equal. If I'm the SEC, I'm not sure if I'm down with that. You're seeing that right now with the playoff discussions uh, or even if you go back to to covid and, and figuring out how to play last summer you know they they kept telling us oh we have a conference called the five commissioners every morning you know we're working this out and hopefully we'll be and they you know became apparent but at some point like ah this is never they're not gonna come back at the same time if at all um and that speaks to you know it's it just they're just they're in different parts of the country different priorities um you know, the university presidents in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are, are, we saw last summer, right, aired very much on the side of caution. And I think that the presidents in the SEC know that, like, you're not, I'm not going to be the guy that stands in the way 
of SEC football being played this fall or I'm going to be out of a job, right? So uh, that, that there was a lot of differences there, and there'd be a lot of differences if you're talking about something like this. Um, and we're seeing it, you know, I think the debate around expanding the playoff right now, a lot of it, it has to do with what's what's in it for the SEC. Like, you know, we know what's in it for these conferences like the Pac-12 that keep getting left out. They really need an automatic berth. The SEC doesn't need an automatic berth. They don't need to be, if anything, they, you know, if, if whatever system they're going to sign on to, and we know it's going to expand in some way, is going to be one that ensures that the most SEC teams possible can make it. Uh, so I, I don't know that that there's a lot of movement for the Power Five as it's currently constituted, those 65 schools breaking away from the NCAA or doing some sort of, um, you know, basically like the old CFA, only the, the old CFA didn't have the Big Ten, in fact, in it. What I've always, what I've been theorizing for a while and saying is that at some point that there's going to be consolidation even within those conferences. You know, at some point, kind of like the Super League, the, 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 the soccer Super League, um, at some point, Ohio State is going to say, um, why we we create, you know, X percentage of the TV value for the Big Ten and yet we make one fourteenth of it. Why are, why are we giving so much of what we as, as a program are, are bringing in and then handing it over to Purdue and handing it over to Illinois? Um, we could make so much more money and have such a more uh, compelling product if we joined forces with schools that we have a lot more in common with. And at the end of the day, Ohio State football has a lot more in common with Alabama and LSU than it does with Northwestern. I mean, that's just <laughs> the reality of it. And so... I think that there'll be some sort of very much like soccer, some sort of Premier League, Champions League, whatever you want to call it, just for football. Um, they're not going to break away from the NCAA because they need those schools for the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, a lot of the less uh, or the non-revenue sports, some of the most successful school programs in it are not Power Five schools. So there's a lot more to the NCAA than than football. Uh, but in football, you know, the whole sport is already almost entirely focused on this small handful of programs that can realistically compete for spots in the playoff. So it would make sense to me that that becomes its own entity. You know, the college, basically the college football playoff uh, and the teams that compete for it becomes uh, its own separate product. Okay. So you open the door for playoff talk, but I don't think, even though our, the, our listener mentioned the power five conferences, I don't think it's completely fair to just leave out what might happen, sort of the future of the other conferences. And, and we talk about mergers and maybe somebody who had a pretty good plan at the time. I, I do want to touch a little bit on what is going on with the group of five and this idea, um, you know, the, the AAC has has sort of pulled away from the other two and the Mountain West will probably, fans will cringe when they hear that. But between TV dollars and strength of teams and some depth in the conference. It does seem like that's, that's, they is my, I don't think it's a power six, but they are somewhere in between, um, power five and group of five on, a, in a space all to their own. And I do wonder if it would have been best for, if Mike Oresco's idea of, Hey, let's bring Boise State, let's bring San Diego State. And that fell apart. For various reasons, a lot of it having to do with Boise State thinking it wasn't it, it, it wanted to keep its sweetheart deal and stay mm -hmm. in the Mountain West. Um, but I do wonder if if there ever was a power six, if we ever could sort of you know look at the landscape 
maybe and maybe this is where the TV executives sit down with the Power Five and say, "Listen, you know, we're not all do, we're, we're not all working together here, but we have more room for another big conference here. We have room for one more conference to sort of be in the mix here." Um, and the the market can decide if it's you know that that, that conference probably won't ever be another SEC and it will probably not be even making in, making the money that maybe even an ACC makes. But if we give that conference a little more access here, we have the space, we have the room for its inventory. And I think what would have been best is if the mountain, the best of the Mountain West and the best of the of the AAC converged and created some like one more sort of super conference that would be the sixth one and i know again that'll piss off the sunbelt fans and the conference usa fans and the mac fans but i i just think that that would have been in many ways the way to go for the best school the aac and the best schools in the mountain west well we saw some interesting correspondence leak out last year right between brian harson mm-hmm. and his ad where he's openly saying like we need to get out of the mountain west um this is you know i mean i frankly it's rare to see that kind of love now both parson and the ad are not there anymore right, right so right. uh the total changeover but you know that was your signs that like there are cracks and i think boise state realizes its value that they are the you know to their credit they've built up a program that is probably the most recognizable group of five program there is nationally. You know, you know, the blue turf, you know, the history there and, and that they could maybe do better, you know, like you said, going to the AAC and joining forces with Cincinnati and UCF and whatnot. Uh, I still don't think, I mean, as you know, like this is not a meritocracy and, and value in the eyes of TV is in many ways tied to what these schools did 80 years ago. Um, you know, that that you know UCF has has been to three BCS or CFP bowls this decade, and yet there's not Power Five conferences jumping to invite them, uh, you know. And meanwhile, you know, you name uh, Power Five school. I mean Texas, right? USC, like these schools haven't been particularly good at football, but that brand is so entrenched. Um, I don't know what 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 those conferences can do realistically, other than. I mean, they have so much riding on the playoff, A, expanding, and B, having an automatic slot, because that's the game changer. If there's an automatic berth in a playoff for the group of five schools, I think it would help their recruiting tremendously. I think fan engagement. I mean, I think right now, if you're a, a fan of a group of five school, the only carrot is that that group of, is that, you know, oh, we might get to go to the Peach Bowl and play Georgia, <laughs> Like that, that felt like that held, held more. Um, that was a bigger deal in the BCS, right? When Boise got to play Oklahoma and TCU got to play Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl, doesn't feel it doesn't feel quite the same now because the other school playing them doesn't really care. Getting in a playoff would be a whole other story, and I think that that's probably one of the many backroom uh, debates that's going on right now. Because I don't think, again, I don't think the SEC and the Big Ten necessarily want to hand over a spot to those conferences. But they also know that, you know, the system they have now, they can say with a straight face, even though we know it's probably not true, anybody can get in. Just finish in the top four and you can go. Uh, that's different than there's now automatic entry for some conferences but not others. 
Yeah, if nothing else, it'll keep the lawyers at bay, I, I imagine. But you're right, everything's going to be a fight, and let's just move into the playoff discussion because because you, we got to do it, you know? it's <laughs> that's, that's where we are. We're going to be doing this for about a month at least, and probably more so because it, it, it's become pretty obvious that expansion is – is on the horizon. I think the big the the sixty four thousand dollar question is still going to be now or later. Um, in other words, by the before the end of the contract that 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 expires after the twenty twenty five season, or maybe before. Uh, maybe try to squeeze it in. The, the there are we don't even have sites for the twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five season title games. So maybe that provides a little flexibility where you can move some things around and change the format before the contract runs out. Uh, I think de- depending on who you talk to, there is a little more interest in that, though I think there's also a bit of, hey, five years is not a long time in the way this this stuff works, and it's going to take us a while to figure this out. Um, but I want to talk about this, and that is just the the type of format. Because you and I had a text conversation a couple of days ago that basically sort of I think we both have sort of come around a little bit. Maybe I mischaracterized you know what you're what you you were saying via text, but I think we both come around to the idea that like eight, which always seemed to be a natural place for this to land for me. Eight might not really be the way to go here, and I can all of a sudden see why more than eight makes a lot of sense. Where did you come when you started looking into that through your mailbag and other places? Why why more than eight actually fixes some of the problems that we're dealing with? Um, I think that the the driving impetus right now is that people are tired of seeing the same same format, the same same playoff every year and some very like is it gonna be Alabama or is it gonna be Clemson? Is this the year Ohio State beats Alabama and Clemson or not? And is Oklahoma going to get their butts kicked in the semifinals again, right? Even LSU having that breakthrough season a couple years ago doesn't feel like it changed people's opinions much. They still feel like it's getting stale. Okay, well, if you go to eight, um, I'm not sure that really fixes that because there have been, you know, in the past several years, like there have been years where Georgia finished fifth or sixth, uh, where Oklahoma finished sixth, where Ohio State, two years in a row, Ohio State barely missed the playoff. You're actually going to be bringing in those teams more often and having even more of them. And I don't know that, you know, as I looked at it, and if there, I'm assuming there's automatic births, but we don't know for sure. Um, there wouldn't have been that many more, you know, it wouldn't have suddenly turned into March Madness. Uh, you know, Baylor would have made it one year. Um, Wisconsin would have made it one year. But it, it wouldn't have been that much new blood. So if, now if you go to 12, and you go look at last year alone, now Iowa State is getting to call itself a playoff team. Indiana, like that's like that's a whole different sport almost, right? Where schools like that actually feel like they have a chance. It may not be that often, but to have that dream season and actually make the playoff, um, you know, that accomplishes that much more than just going to eight. Um, the other thing is, you know, there's there's obviously concern about the effect on the regular season and while I do think that any sort of expansion makes makes more games meaningful in terms of now there's a wider cast of teams that ha- have a shot, it diminishes the importance of single particular games. And one of them would be, you know, the SEC championship game most years, you'd are you go into it knowing that both teams are going to make the playoff in an 18 playoff. And it's probably, it, was, it was true, obviously, even in four teams for the ACC last year. But maybe there'd be even more situations like that. I think one thing people like about 12 
is that there's something for everybody to, to be invested in till the very end. You're either playing for, you know, if you want to get in the top four to have a buy, mm-hmm. or you want to get into that next four to have home field advantage, have a game at your campus. And then obviously there's ones who are just trying to get in entirely. Which so makes the motivated. SEC championship game always important for both teams, right? Correct. At no yeah. point are, is, are, are, are Georgia and Alabama lining up playing for sort of a meaningless seed uh, where, well, we're, we're all still playing in the first round. We're probably each going to have first round, you know, home games most likely. So it, it doesn't necessarily matter, right? That, 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 and that's a huge deal. That's a huge difference here to have those. And the other thing is it also increases the value of those championship games. Well, just having automatic bids again, sort of creates another level of playoff. And if you're doing automatic bids, um, and I don't know that it's necessarily a certainty as much as people think, but if you are and you have a year, and I know it was a weird year last year, but where the Pac-12 champ was ranked, I think, 16th. No, I mean, no in the 20s, right? Oregon ended mm-hmm. up in mm-hmm. the champ. You know, or like think of uh, the 2006 Wake Forest team or something. You know, in an 18 playoff, that team's going to be – seem like out of place with the other ones completely. Uh, 12, maybe you lessen that a little bit, but – um, now, as you and I talked about, the problem is you're asking teams to play one, maybe two more uh, games than they already do. You're talking about NFL long season, and that's going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. Right. And then it also brings us back to the idea of, well, maybe there's some money you can put aside for these uh, student athletes and maybe there's a way to turn. Now, this is getting deep into the weeds, but maybe there's a way to turn um, name, image and likeness uh, money into uh, payments for playoff appearances. Right. Because the, the, the schools aren't paying them, but the college football playoff is maybe making these payments and there's money being set aside. And, you know, again, I, th- that's getting a little deep in the weeds, but I, I but, but you're going to have to come up with something to sort of justify making college players play 16 or 17 game seasons. Now, I've also talked with some administrators about this and they'll say, listen, you know, high schools, you have some Texas high schools that are playing like about 16 game seasons. So is it really that big of a deal? I don't know. Again, it it just if nothing else, the optics of it look a little rough to push the season to that large when you're still making the hard stance against paying athletes. To me, the biggest thing is that you're asking you know, if you're talking about playoff team, you're talking about Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, et cetera, they are the teams that have the most guys who are risking the most to play those games right before the draft. Um, you know, those are extra opportunities, unfortunately, for somebody to tear an ACL or, or whatever, you know, so um, and and have it negatively affect their draft stock and, and lose millions of dollars. So I, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what assurance you. But to me, that like bring up Texas State high school playoffs is irrelevant because those guys don't have that on the line. Um, these kids, you know, I mean, people think it's crazy that, you know, the question came up in the last couple of weeks, would players opt out of a play? Oh, never. They would never opt out. of it. That's what they came for was to win a national championship. Well, you don't think some agents are going to be telling them, yeah, we, you can't play four back to back to back games against the best teams in the country right before you're going to start training for the combine. Um, that there's an inherent conflict there. Yeah, certainly not. At, I, listen, I don't think at first they would, but I could see over time 
Um, mm-hmm. Hey, listen, you know, you're playing, you're, you're the team that snuck in, you're on the team that snuck in at eight and four by winning a conference championship. You're playing, you know, the one seed. Does your team really have a chance here? <laughs> you know, so I could, yeah, I could sort of see that, those players possibly bailing out. But part of the reason why the, 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 there is such a push to expand is because of, Player keeping players engaged. It's not just right. about fans. It's not just about TV ratings. It's about keeping the players engaged. Uh, you know, players want to play in games of consequence, whether it's in their regular season or in the postseason. And the more games of consequence you can create via the playoff, the more you will have the players stay engaged and want to play these games because. I don't want to go too far down the road. I, I listen. I'm, I I I think that we're going to start seeing more juniors bail out of their uh, bail out of their final seasons, uh, kind mm-hmm. of like we did last year with guys like Micah Parsons and Jamar Chase. I think some elite players are going to say, "Yeah, I'll pass on my uh, junior year." So anything you can do to create more value for players playing in big games, I think, is as big a deal about expanding the playoff as anything else. Yeah, it's. The opt-outs of the bowl games have had just have been um, just. I, I think you know. The, I love bowl games. You love bowl games. We know the tradition of bowl games, and for decades and decades, the people who run the conferences were doing whatever possible to to protect their friends at the bowl games. I think that those days are over. I think that these ads, in particular, and the commissioners, you know, they they see the writing on the wall. When, when their best players don't care enough about going to not just, you know, it started out as like Christian McCaffrey skipped the Sun Bowl, right? It did not take long for them to start opting out of Cotton Bowls and, and Sugar Bowls and whatnot. So they see that and they realize like this is just going to get worse. And why would my fan, I mean, you know, they're on the hook. A lot of these schools are on the hook to sell 10,000 tickets to a bowl game and, if, and eat the cost of the ones they don't. How am I? How can I ask our fans to travel somewhere and pay whatever it is for the tickets, and they're not even going to get to see Kyle Pitts and and you know their best players one more time? So you're right. Like that is a big reason driving this playoff discussion. And yes, many more of those guys would be engaged certainly in a playoff. It's just like what's that sweet spot? What's the magic number of we can justify this? Um, you know, I think they need to cut the regular season down by game if they do that. And I think some of them probably would say we'd be fine with that. We'd be fine with right now, you know, the big schools have to pay, uh, you know, uh, Fresno State $1.5 million to come play a game at their stadium. You're telling me we don't have to do that anymore and we make more money from the playoffs? Sign me up. Stuart Mandel is the editor-in-chief of the Athletic College Football. He also co-hosts the Audible podcast with our, our other friend Bruce Feldman. Uh, that will be coming out later in this week. You should definitely f- uh, sub- follow that podcast and listen to those guys. Stu, thank you so much for joining me this week to uh, dive into the future of conferences and the future of, to a certain degree, of college football, but the future of the Power Five and where this is all going. My pleasure, Ralph. It's always great talking to you. And now three and out. First down, the FCS National Championship game is this coming Sunday. Sam Houston State will face South Dakota State to wrap up this odd spring season. 
there has been a lot of talk about making spring FCS football's permanent home. There are some decent arguments having to do mostly with exposure. The working theory is FCS will get more attention in the spring than it does in the fall going against major college football because football-hungry fans will get their fix in the spring. I don't get any sense that sports fans in general were flocking to FCS games this spring, though it should be noted most of those were on streaming platforms. A permanent move to the spring would come with a different type of media rights deal, presumably, and the assumption is networks or other content providers would pay maybe a few million to get access to those games. I am highly skeptical of this. Locally and regionally, I can see some FCS schools that already have good followings in states where pro teams don't dominate getting a boost from a little extra attention in the spring. But is it enough to justify taking football out of football season and having it run into a host of other sports on college campuses that compete at that time, including basketball, which is the more important sport at a lot of FCS schools because those teams have the ability to be part of March Madness? It's football, and there are a lot of content providers out there, so someone will happily stream the games. I'm sure ESPN was thankful with having so much extra programming this spring to put on its ESPN Plus app. But with NBA, NHL, and MLB also going on, plus tennis and golf majors, auto, auto races, triple crown horse races, will any network and or content provider be willing to use these games as more than just filler? The other part of this, you know, the conferences will still be on their own to make these deals, just like in FBS. The NCAA holds the rights to the championships, but the regular season games are held by the conferences. Conceivably, the conferences could consolidate their rights and work together to create an interesting FCS package. Maybe it would just include some of the most high-profile conferences, such as the CAA or Missouri Valley, the Big Sky. But a conference-by-conference model I don't see being particularly appealing to networks. They already exist in some ways. ESPN has deals with FCS conferences to put those games on ESPN+. Plus. Most of those deals don't really provide a whole lot of money, and I'm not really sure why they would in the spring. If there was a package of FCS games involving the best 25 or 30 programs, maybe that brings in some move-the-needle money. I don't know. It feels like the potential revenue bump is at best pretty modest, and maybe only for a, a few schools and conferences that play sort of at the highest level of FCS. And if that's the case, is it really worth moving your football out of football season? Second down. Last week, we talked about Alabama reaching into the transfer portal to land Ohio State receiver Jamison Williams. Later last week, the Tide was at it again, getting a commitment from Tennessee linebacker Henry Toa Toa, one of the top players at his position in the SEC the past couple of seasons. For a lot of fans, Toa Toa going to Alabama confirms their worst fears about the portal and the leniency of the new transfer rules. The rich getting richer as the very best players hop on board the very best teams. I get it. 
I don't think the super teams like Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson will be dipping into the portal often, but when they do, it will be for the highest quality players. Those teams don't need a lot of transfers, but if they are adding just a few talented and already developed players to their already loaded rosters, it will absolutely make it tougher for their competition to chase them down. I think there is some hope that the more lenient transfer rules where players don't have to sit out a season after switching schools will help increase parity because good players on stacked teams might be more compelled to disperse than just be roster depth on a super team. The problem is those types of players are more likely to be hit or miss, right? The guys who weren't good enough to start at their previous schools might have high ceilings, but are most likely unproven. The best value among transfers will come from the very top of the market. Players like Toa Toa, who are established contributors against high-level competition. Players who aren't leaving because they couldn't start at their old schools, but because they just wanted a better chance to win and showcase their talents. Those players are most likely going to land at the same small number of schools that already land the most blue-chip recruits for the same reasons. Third down. Now, finally, the 2020-2021 FBS coaching carousel has come to an end. Buffalo hired Maurice Linguist to replace Lance Leipold as its head coach after Leipold jumped to Kansas. Linguist is a longtime defensive assistant who was hired by Michigan back in January as part of Jim Harbaugh's staff makeover. Linguist was to be co-defensive coordinator at Michigan and defensive backs coach, but instead is now first-time head coach. He is a Texas native who worked at Buffalo back in the early 20-teens under Jeff Quinn. Last year, Linquist was in the NFL with the Cowboys. As I have said before, I don't grade hires anymore. Who knows how a first-time head coach will do at a MAC program that hasn't had much success traditionally, but is coming off a nice run recently under Leipold. This is the type of promising young coach that tends to be available to MAC schools these days. More experienced coordinators, maybe a guy who's got some experience as a coordinator, but also as a head coach. Those type of coaches are getting paid a lot of money at Power 5 schools these days and are harder and harder for MAC schools or just about any group of five school out of maybe the AAC to lure back to head coaching jobs these days. I like to see these schools take a shot on somebody new rather than hiring somebody just because they have some head coaching experience. His hiring raises the total number of minority head coaches in FBS to 21 out of 130 schools. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, at appodcast.com, just about anywhere you'd like to get your pods. Please follow so you do not miss an episode. If you have questions you'd like me or my guests to answer, email them 
to aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you on all topics, college football, serious or silly. That's aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.